Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Good morning, Stevens Creek. How you feeling? Yeah. All right. One more time. Good morning. How you doing? Most of you are back from vacation. Good, good. And uh, happy Master's Week. And just a disclaimer, I already know that you're going to have split screen, half Bible, half Master stream. It's okay. I get it. I understand. Give me a thumbs up if Tiger is winning. We'll say the benediction and go home. All right. Okay. Not only... Is it Master's Week? But Easter is coming. We are so excited about what God is going to do Easter weekend. But y'all, I am super excited because winter is here. Some of you will get that. That's okay if you don't. Don't worry about it. But winter is here and I'm very excited about 9 o'clock tonight, Game of Thrones. Praise the Lord. All right. So uh, the last couple of weeks, guys, we've been talking about Jesus being the goat, the greatest of all time. Uh, the first week we talked about how he is the greatest because he's intentional, that he pursues us. Uh, and then the next week we talked about how he's the greatest because he is present. Well, this week we're going to talk about how he's the greatest because he is sufficient. And I want to remind you of our definition. Greatness is not so much in your accolades, but it's how what you do affects other people. And I hope that when you define who's the greatest, you will look at Jesus and say, Jesus is the greatest of all time. Amen. All right. So if you have your Bibles and your master stream, open up to Luke chapter eight. And the, the context for our story is Luke chapter eight, verse 40 to 55, but I'm only going to read one verse in your hearing and it's uh, verse 50 and it says, but when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she will be healed. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your anointing and your presence here with us. I pray that you would give us ears to hear and bless your word in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. So y'all, I am 30 years old and I turned 31 in about a month and I know I'm getting old. My knees are getting a little cranky and I'm struggling to get up out of the bed. I, I know y'all understand what I'm talking about. It, it's y'all young folk may not understand, but us who are a little more advanced in age, we get that. But I was reflecting this morning actually on just what what was my landmark when I became an adult? What was the sign that I knew I was an adult? And we all have different landmarks. Maybe it was when you turned 18. Maybe it was the time that you made your first big purchase. Um, for others of us, it's the time when w our parents gave us the bill at dinner for the first time. Or uh, when we were responsible for part of the cable bill in the house. Whatever your landmark is, it, it, it was a defining moment that made Made you realize I'm an adult now. My defining moment is a little different. My defining moment, what made me realize that I had walked into adulthood was when I got an adult size cup of Kool-Aid. Now, let me give you some framework because I know you're looking at me like that don't make no sense. Let me explain it. So uh, 
since I've been a child, we all every Sunday go to my grandmother's house and we call her mama and my grandmother and grandfather live together, married, but it's her house. It's mama's house. And so we would go there every single Sunday. And since I was a child, we would start, I I started at the baby table with a baby plate and a baby cup. All right. And as I began to get older, those things started to change. Uh, My legs got a little bit longer. So I had to move to a bigger table. I wasn't at the adult table yet. I was at the medium table with a baby plate and a baby cup. Get a little bit older. I get graduated to the adult table with an adult plate. But I still got a baby cup at 18 years old. I'm still getting a baby cup portion of Kool-Aid and I'm upset. Because I'm 18 years old. I'm an adult now. They, they should be giving me enough. But sophomore year of college, I come home and I visit. And um, I'm sitting at the table. And I get my, my adult table place. Then I get my adult plate. But then mama brings me an adult cup of Kool-Aid. Y'all, I got excited. I celebrated. I shouted. And then I said, mama, not that I want you to change your mind. But what about today made you give me the portion that I thought I always deserved? And she said, you're finally old enough to handle this cup. I was 20 years old, y'all. I was old enough long time ago. But what what it sparked in me was the fact that she believed that I was enough at that point. That I was sufficient. And that word enough and sufficient, they're interchangeable. And I want to talk to you about how Jesus is enough in our lives. That no matter what you're facing, no matter what you're going through, he's enough. That he's sufficient to handle it. He's sufficient to take care of it. And in our biblical text, we see a story of of people who get to experience Jesus in his sufficiency. We see a, a man who comes and begs Jesus to help him and then a woman who needs his help and then and then both of them get what they need. But there are five things that I want to show you about the sufficiency of Jesus that I think will help us remember that he's the greatest of all time. That will help us to remember that Jesus is greater. Here's the first thing, that Jesus is sufficient to forgive. Now, in our biblical text, Jesus is just getting off a boat and there's a crowd surrounding him. And this is not very unusual because wherever Jesus went, there was a crowd. But what was interesting about this was who was in the crowd. There was a man named Jairus and he was the leader of the synagogue. And in those days, the synagogue were made up of Pharisees. Now the Pharisees were individuals who hated on Jesus. They didn't like him. They judged him. They criticized him. They were doing everything they could to block him and stop him. And ultimately they ended up setting him up to be killed. Jairus was a part of these group of individuals. Their opinion of Jesus was one that was negative. Their opinion of Jesus was one that was uh, shameful. They didn't think he was good. In fact, they attributed his great works to demons and devils. But there's something interesting about when you find yourself in a difficult situation. A difficult situation will cause you to change your opinion about things. A difficult situation will cause you to reassess your opinions. And here, here's what 
uh, trouble will do. Trouble changes our perspective of Jesus. You see, this man who was okay with them criticizing him, okay with them hating on him, okay with them judging him. This man, when he was in trouble, when he was needing help, he knew that I've got to call Jesus. I've got to get to the one who can handle what's going on. Look at what he says here. Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. He was pleading with him because he needed Jesus' help. He needed Jesus to show up. And in this moment, Jesus is given the opportunity to decide what to do. You see... When we think of forgiveness many times, uh, when we think of forgiveness in terms of Jesus, we think of it in abstract terms. We think of it in, oh, he's able to forgive my sins. But when Jesus walked this earth, he had to act out personal forgiveness. You see, it's very easy to be nice to people who like you, but how do you handle the people who don't like you? It's very easy to be friendly with your friends, but how do you treat your enemies? And I would propose to you that the true measure of your character is not how you treat those who like you. It's how you treat those who can't stand you. And this is what Jesus is presented with. He's presented with this decision of do I practice personal forgiveness or do I give him back what he has been giving to me? And y'all, I got to be honest, I'm so glad we have a pastor, Dr. Marty Baker, who is so close to Jesus, who can act these things out. I've seen him act it out, but y'all, I'm not that saved. I want to be like Jesus, but I'm not there yet. Pray, pray for me. But this is how Jesus is able to do this. He, he decides to go with Jairus and this is how he's able to do this. It's because Jesus doesn't hold grudges. He doesn't hold on to what someone has done to him. In fact, even in your life, the places that you have fell short, the places where you have disappointed him, he doesn't hold on to that grudge in your life because when you come to him, it is the same. He is still waiting with arms wide open saying, come, I have room for you. You are welcomed here. He's always ready to forgive. And here is Jesus in this text deciding to go with Jairus. And so the story continues. And y'all, I see this in like epic proportion in pictures. So I'm seeing Jesus and Jairus walking. And I'm seeing this multitude of crowd. And I'm seeing my cousin Kenny over on the side with some popcorn. Seeing what's about to happen. It's a great, great picture. And Jesus and Jairus are heading to help his daughter. But in the middle of our main story, there's an interruption. There's someone who interrupts our story. The Bible doesn't even give her a name. It just tells us it's a woman with an issue. Verse 43 tells us she is a woman with an issue. She was bleeding and she could not stop bleeding. And she is suffering for 12 long years. She has suffered. This issue in her life caused her to become what in those days they considered unclean. And so it separated her from her family. It caused society to despise her. 
And ultimately, it left her penniless because she went to every doctor she could find to try to help heal her from this disease. And ladies and gentlemen, my brothers and sisters, we are not so different from this woman. Although we may not have a physical ailment, humanity as a whole has a soul ailment. We have been struggling and looking for cures. We have spent our time and money looking for answers. We've gone to doctors. We've gone to the doctor of success. We've gone to the doctor of entertainment. We've gone to the doctor of pleasure. We've gone to the doctor of self-help. We've gone to the doctor of religion. And you see, all of them have been good for a while and they worked for a little bit, but they did not fill the void. Because here's the truth. The only one who has the answer, the only one who can fill the void in our hearts is Jesus. Only a relationship with Jesus will fix the ailment of our soul. You see, he's the greatest. And this woman realizes this fact. And because of that, she understood that Jesus was what she needed. And so this is what she understood. Here's your second fill in the blank is that Jesus is sufficient to heal. She had tried everything else. She had gone to everyone else and she realized that Jesus was the only one who can heal her. John's account of this same story tells us that she says to herself, if I could just touch him, I would be made whole. And in fact, in the Greek, it reads as if she was saying to herself over and over as she's pressing through the crowd, as she is making her way to Jesus, if I could just touch him, I would be made whole. And here's the truth, y'all, is that faith gives us access to Jesus's power to heal. When we believe, we open up doors of opportunity. Look at what Mark 11 says. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe that you've received it, it will be yours. This is the promise of Jesus. And this is the promise that this woman has attached to. She believes in Jesus. She has faith in Jesus and she presses through the crowd and she moves through every obstacle and she touches Jesus and immediately she is made whole. And I don't know what you're facing today, but I want to encourage you that God is able to do things in an immediate fashion. God is able to do stuff in a suddenly that sometimes you deal with stuff in long term, but God is able to step in the middle and suddenly things are different. Suddenly things are changed in your life. And here's the truth. Faith can fix in a moment what has troubled you for a lifetime. Faith can fix in one moment what you've been struggling with for a lifetime. I, I, I don't know how to fix this relationship, but I believe God to mend the broken places and God can fix in a moment what you've been struggling with for a lifetime. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this financial mess. I've been dealing with it for forever, but God, faith in God can fix in a moment what we've been struggling with for a lifetime. In the life of this woman in Luke 8, verse 44, it says, coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. Immediately, it stopped in her life. 
Her faith gave her access to Jesus's healing power and fixed in a moment what she had struggled with for 12 long years. But can I tell you that God didn't just want to fix her issue. He wanted to do more in her life. And in your life, God doesn't just want to fix your problem. He wants to change your life. In fact, he, he's come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. That God has more for you. And we got to get our eyes off of just one problem and see that God can do greater things in our lives. Here's the third thing that I want you to see. Is that Jesus is sufficient to change your identity. Here's the, here's the main problem for this woman. It wasn't just her issue with blood. It was an identity issue. She had embraced the label that was put on her. Ladies and gentlemen, my brothers and sisters, sometimes we struggle with what we have done and what someone has done to us. And we embrace that as our label. Because they have abandoned us, we are orphans. Because I've been divorced, I'm unlovable. Because I've struggled with something, I I can't be used by God. Let, Let me tell you something, that God can still use broken pieces. That God can still use who you are, that he's not finished with you yet. And what he has come to do is not fix your issue, but also change your identity. In verse 43... Of Luke chapter 8, she's a woman with an issue. And I want to remind you of something. That you are more than what you've been through. The sum of who you are is greater than the label that somebody has put on you. It's greater than the limitations that you put on yourself. And so this woman in verse 43 She's a woman with an issue. But look at what happens in verse 48. This is Jesus speaking. He says, daughter, he said to her, your faith made you well. Go in peace. So in five verses, she goes from a woman with the issue to a daughter of the king. In five verses, her whole world has changed. And here, here's what that word in the Greek, um, that daughter, what Jesus, this is the only time in scripture that he uses this verb towards the individual. And it means that you are a direct descendant of the person who is calling you that. And so what Jesus was saying is that you are a daughter of the king that I know you've been labeled with the issue. I know people don't even know your name, that you've been overlooked because they've seen what you've been through. But God says, you are my child. You are still my son. You are still my daughter. And I have changed your identity. And here's the thing. It's not anything that we have done that changes that. It's not us. Look, look at what. What really happens? Jesus exchanges our identity with his identity. It's not because of us, but it's because of what he has done. In five verses, this woman goes from wearing a label of a problem 
to being the daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That happens because she has an encounter with Christ. And this, look at what 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says. This means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. This is what God wants to do in our lives. He wants you to shed and rid yourself of the shame of your past, of the labels that people have put on you, and realize you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. You are new in Christ. But Jesus doesn't just want to fix her issue. He doesn't just want to change her identity. But he wants to determine her value. And here's the fourth thing that I want to show you is that Jesus is sufficient to change social norms. And what I mean by this is that in this text, the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that the daughter of a synagogue ruler was priceless. That a man should sell everything that he had to give to marry her. Because she was absolutely priceless. And in this story, Jesus stopping, according to the customs and traditions, was the wrong thing to do. Because this woman should have waited her turn. Jairus' daughter was more valuable. And until she was helped, this woman shouldn't have been helped. Was But here's the thing about Jesus is that he sees us all as equal. That in his eyes, we all matter to him. That it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what you look like. That that you matter to God. And here's what I, I want you to see. That this woman had this issue for 12 years. And Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. And the custom says this woman should wait her turn. But Jesus says, I'm not going to make you wait because you're here and I'm going to break the social customs. And and this is the truth of the matter is for Jesus, people matter more than traditions. That doesn't mean traditions are bad. It doesn't mean traditions aren't good. But if Jesus has to choose between tradition and you, he will always choose you. You matter to God. And you matter to us. That's why here at this church, we will do anything short of sin in order for you to know and feel that you matter to God. You may have been overlooked in the past. You may have never been pointed out. But today I need you to hear that you matter to God. That you as a person, you as an individual are important to God. He's created a plan for you. And if it takes interrupting the social norms, if it takes breaking the traditions... Jesus will do whatever he have to for you to realize and understand that you matter to him. You are that important. And in the midst of this woman's celebration and elation and joy and excitement. There's a difficult turn that happens in our main story. You see, while this woman gets her healing, there's a messenger that comes to tell Jairus that the daughter that was once sick is now dead. 
How do you deal with the challenge of life when it seems like everything is happening for somebody else and not for you? How, you, how do you deal with the challenge of God telling you to trust him and you see him do it for others, but for you it seems to be delayed, seems to be denied. But in verse 50, after hearing this news, Jesus looks at Jairus and tells him to have faith. If you believe, she will be healed. And here's the fifth and final thing is that Jesus is sufficient to raise the dead. The things that you thought were dormant, the relationships that you thought were broken forever. Jesus is able to bring those things back to life. And here's my encouragement to you here. Here, here's what I need you to understand is that when he makes a promise like that, your faith will be challenged, your faith will be tested, but this is what I need you to do. Don't doubt in the dark what God has promised in the light. Don't doubt in the difficult times what God has promised you in the light because he is faithful to accomplish the word he has spoken. Paul the apostle writes in Colossians 1 and 23 but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news sometimes you just got to make up your mind that i'm gonna trust god no matter what i'm gonna plant my feet and i'm not gonna be moved though the winds may blow though things may go crazy i'm going to trust god and i'm going to believe god for what he has promised Here's the thing. Jesus will challenge us to believe for impossible things. He's stretching us. He's trying to grow our faith. He, He wants you to believe him for the promotion. He wants you to believe him for the open door. He wants you to believe him. I know you're not qualified, but he wants you to believe him to do those things. Here's what he says in Matthew 17 and verse 20. I tell you the truth. If you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there and it would move. Nothing would be impossible. And so Jairus decides, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust him. And he goes with Jesus. And they get to the house and people are making fun of them. They're laughing. They're saying, You must be crazy. This this child is already dead. But Jesus puts everyone out the room. Except for Jairus and a few people. And he begins to speak to this young girl. And he tells her to get up. And this is what I need you to understand. Is that Jesus is able to allow your sleeping dreams to come alive. 
that the things you've been hoping for, the things that are in your heart, the things that you haven't told anybody about, Jesus is able to do it because he's sufficient. He is greater than what stands against you. He is bigger than the obstacle you face. He is bigger than the giant in your life. Jesus is greater. In fact, he is the greatest of all time. He's enough. He's the greatest. I want to tell you a story that my daddy told me. It was a rich man. He had everything you could ever imagine. He had cars, houses, stocks and bonds and companies. He had a Lamborghini and an island in Tahiti. This man was loaded. But the one thing he desired was a son. And him and his wife tried for years and it just didn't work. And they went to every doctor that they could and nothing seemed to work. But after so many years, the, the last time they tried, the wife came home and said, baby, I'm pregnant. And they were so excited. They were so joyful. The man said, this is what I had hoped for. This is what I had believed God for. And nine months go by. And the woman gives birth to a baby boy. And the man is so excited. Everything is great and wonderful. But there's a complication on the operating table. And his wife dies. The man is heartbroken, but he realizes that I have to live for my son. I I have to live for my son. And so he moves forward and he continues to, to live on. And the man, six months later, wakes up to see that his son has died. The man is heartbroken and he dies of a broken heart. But before he died, he commissioned them to have three portraits done of his wife, of him, and of his son. And he says, I have no one to leave my stuff to, so I want you to sell all of it, auction it all off. And so they, everybody hears about the auction and they show up and they're looking at the cars and they're looking at the houses and they're looking at the jewelry and they're so excited. And the auctioneer steps to the desk and bangs his gavel and says the auction is open and we're going to start with the portraits of the family going to start with the portrait of the son and he said fifty dollars for this item nobody bid he said forty dollars for this item nobody bid and then he said does anybody want to bid on this item and the lady in the back raised her hand and said, I don't, I don't have much money, but I have $2 that I would love to bid on this item. And he said, $2 going once, $2 going twice, $2 sold to the woman in the back. And then everybody prepared for the next item. But the, the auctioneer began to bang his gavel and said, the auction is over. And everyone got mad and said, what about the houses? What, what about the cars? What, what about the land? And he said, you should have read the fine print. Whoever gets the sun gets it all. And I want to tell you that Jesus is enough. And as long as you have the sun, you have it all. He's able to supply your needs. He's able to heal your broken heart. Jesus is enough. 
Jesus is sufficient. Here's the bottom line. Jesus is enough to accomplish the impossible. Y'all, for, for the last three weeks, we've talked about Jesus being the greatest. And sometimes we say it with our mouths, but it's not reflected in our actions. And I want to challenge you to believe Jesus for the impossible. He is the greatest. And if you've got the son, you've got what you need. And if you don't have him today, today is the day to say yes. You don't got to be perfect. None of us are. But he's saying, come. Just say yes to me and we will walk this thing out together. Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word that has been declared. Thank you for reminding us, God, that you are sufficient to forgive. That even when we mess up, you don't hold it against us. That you are still waiting. Arms wide open. Father, thank you for your ability to heal. Not only our physical wounds, but God, thank you for healing our emotional problems. Thank you for healing our mind. Thank you for showing us that you are there. And Father, I pray that we would realize who you are, God, and believe you for impossible things. Believe you for who you have said you are, God. For the person who does not know you as Lord and Savior, I pray that they would surrender to you today and say this prayer. Lord Jesus, save me and make me into the person that you want me to be. And Father, I pray for every person in here with a dormant dream. I pray that you would let faith arise and that they will believe you for the dormant dream. That you would let those things come alive again. Fix relationships, God. Give confidence and boldness to walk out into purpose and destiny. And we will give you the praise, the honor, and the glory because you are worthy, because you are sufficient, and because you are enough. In Jesus' name we pray and every believer say amen. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.